If you're still deciding on your spring break getaway, Amtrak's got just the ticket. You can visit cities from D.C. and Philly to New York and Boston, all while enjoying more sustainable travel. Amtrak produces up to 83% less carbon emissions than traveling by car or plane. And did we mention the extra legroom and comfy seats? Book early and save at Amtrak.com. Click or tap the banner. Emissions comparisons vary depending on route and locomotive type. Restrictions may apply. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Not over yet. Hello and welcome to episode 42 of this season's Real Football Cast. As always, I'm your host Dan Tracy and in the next 60 minutes we'll be dissecting all the hot topics in football. As per usual, we'll be discussing what's been going on in the Premier League over the past few days. While in addition to that, there are also some off-pitch activities that have caught our eye and they'll be getting our attention in the next hour. It's been another incredible week of football and this week it's one up top. That means leading the line and wearing the captain's armband is Matthew. So Matthew, how have you been since we last spoke? I've been, I've been pretty good, Daniel, though I must say I'm incredibly disappointed in you, the fact that you've been able to turn up today. Knowing the city that you're in, the team that played last night and the team that you support, that trifecta should mean you should have called in for this thing hungover, so I'm a little bit disappointed in you. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm delighted I get to talk. Yeah, do you know what? I've, I guess I'm disappointed in myself, actually. But ever the professional, I thought, well, I need to do this show. So were it not for this podcast, I think a heavy head certainly would have been on the agenda. But it's not. And we'll talk about that in a bit more detail after I do the social media bit. So first, if you want to get in touch with me, you can. That's on Twitter, at DanTracy1983. Also, the podcast has its own account, which is at RealFootballPod. And if you want to become a shareholder, all you need to do is follow and join our very elite members club, Talking of clubs, I'm delighted to announce we're now part of the UK's first ever sports podcast network, that being Sports Social, so check out the URL and all the links posted throughout the week on the Real Football Pod account. You can find me via iTunes by searching for Real Football Cast. If you use that platform, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And if you like us, leave a review so we move up the league table. Also, I need to mention my content partner, that being betting.com. And the easiest way to find all the links is by going to linktree slash realfootballcast. Put a dot between the R and the E. You get 10 podcast platforms to choose from. It's never been easier to listen to this show. Right, it's time to go live. And where should we go first? Let's go to Wembley, as the FA Cup final was contested at the weekend. And once again, it went to penalties. The same eventual outcome for Liverpool in terms of winning. But Matthew, what did you make of the final as a whole? 
I thought the final itself was pretty entertaining for for the most part. You know, Liverpool side, I think, for the most part, were the dominant side throughout. I don't know whether or not that's because you know Chelsea were trying to play for penalties because they know if they sort of opened up, you know what Liverpool can do. So you know, stick with the, the lottery of the penalties. And as we saw um, in the League Cup final earlier in the season, you know, whenever it's penalties, especially between Liverpool and Chelsea, it's a lottery. So maybe that's what they were trying. But overall. You know, I've seen better cup finals, but I've also seen worse, I think it's fair to say. But overall, I you know, it didn't really live up to the spectacle, as it were, of being FA Cup final day. It still felt a little bit off. Maybe that's because it's, you know, the whole not at the end of the season things that has been. But, but overall, you can't really complain about a game, especially between, especially between two sides like that. I was going to ask you about the kickoff time and the scheduling in a bit. So let's bring that forward a bit, because... As you rightly sort of say, it felt a little bit jarring, the fact it was Saturday 4.45 and the penultimate week of the football season. So for you, should it be the showpiece event of English football in terms of scheduling? Or are we now just, I guess, at the sign of the times where it just has to be fitted in because the Champions League is a more important beast? Yeah, I I still think it should be the you know the it, it should be the showpiece of the, the British season at the very least, you know, whether or not that ties in with European because then you have to schedule it either a week before or a week after Champions League final and how long does that extend to the season then we consider the calendar that we're already in you know having gone through the pandemic and then this winter uh, World Cup that we're going to get which has basically the, the two of them have basically changed the football in Canada for the past five years so what it's going to do you know moving forward we don't know but you obviously have to fit things in when you can but you know, going forward I would hope that it does go back to the you know the showpiece. I'm not of the you know proper old school generation that's used to it being um at three o'clock. You know, most of the FA Cups in my lifetime or since I've been following football have probably not been either at the end of the season or in the three o'clock Saturday kickoff time or the lone game. I see they've always been probably basically within my life. So I'm somewhat used to it. But I would hope to think that it would it does get back to where it should be at some point of, you know, at some point in the near future. Well let's get back to the game itself. Penalties were obviously needed to break the deadlock once more when these two teams went to war. This time, though, Matthew, it was Edward Mendy in goal for Chelsea. Were you surprised that there wasn't the switch that we saw before with Kepa coming on, with him being the penalty specialist? Yeah, I, I, I would admit, I was watching this game on um, on ESPN um, over here in America, and they didn't really sort of have that, or, or if they did, I sort of had it muted. But there was, you know, whether or not social media, I think, had that discussion of, oh, what does he do with... Um, Ariza Balaga and Mendy this time has he learned his lesson as it was for our side but I think we sort of said you know leading up to the you know leading up to and after the League Cup final is that you have your best goalkeeper regardless of if he's a penalty specialist and especially if he's in the good form that he was on the day because he made some brilliant saves then logic would dictate that you stick with Mendy on that on that occasion um, and you know they were some, you know they were somewhat right because he you know saved uh, saved Mane's penalty I believe it was so you it was the right decision as I said penalties are always a lottery so uh, but I do think it was the right decision in this instance at the very least to stick with Mendy over over Kepa. Well, that was one pivotal moment, shall we say? Another one was in the first half. Mo Salah pick up an injury, having to be taken off the pitch because he couldn't play anymore. Do you reckon he'll be wrapped in cotton wool for the Champions League final or because of results that happened a day after, will Liverpool now have to call upon his services in the final week of the Premier League season? Well, I don't know because that's, that's the true question. I think they probably rest him for Southampton, which is 
Thursday? No, it's when tonight, is it? Tonight. tonight. That's it. That was it because it was Jurgen Klopp's round. That was it. And again, living this side, it's hard to keep up with every single fixture change that's going on. But yeah, because I knew there were some games Thursday as well. But yeah, the, it depends. I think he stays out of it tonight and then results depending, I think it will really it will really be whether or not he plays. Because obviously, if they go into the final game of the season with a chance of winning the title, then obviously he plays just on the off chance. And then if results are coming through at the 60th minute, say, and Liverpool can't win the title, then he gets brought off. So I think a lot of it will be dictated tonight. And then it's a case of what happens on Sunday and then what happens the week after. So, yeah, but I think tonight is really going to be the dictator. But I would I would expect him, I would expect him to play if they have a chance. Well, of course, that win for Liverpool on Saturday is cut number two out of their potential quadruple. As now referenced, they play Southampton tonight. The big question is, is there going to be a cup hangover? Could that happen at St Mary's? I think that could. And, you know, we, we've spoken on this show before about Jurgen Klopp and how he tends to complain about the fixture list and, you know, uh, we need more subs, but he doesn't use all of his subs and could he use more kids in the League Cup games and so on and so forth. We've had this. But I do think Jurgen Klopp does somewhat have a point with this one. Um, in the, you know, the having to turn around from Saturday to Tuesday, I think it would have been better on Liverpool's end at least to move it to the Thursday. And I think if anything, I don't think it's necessarily a cup hangover, but I do think the whole turning around, especially after going 120 minutes rather and penalties, then to have to go again on the Tuesday, I think there is probably some legitimacy to that. So if there's going to be anything, it might be tired. It's not necessarily a hangover as it were, but you know, just legs towards the end of the season catching up. Well, a friend of mine made a great point in that Liverpool have played every possible game this season. Out of 63 allotted fixtures which could be played if they went the distance in every cup, that's exactly what they've done. So we kind of referenced, what was it, last week, week before, about Spurs being one game too many. They slipped up there. Is there going to be enough in the tank to push Man City to the final day? Or, you know, the Champions League final as well against Real Madrid? Are they going to run out of gas? I, I think they will at some, you know... I, I, it's hard to it's hard to tell really because they might run out of gas, but at the same time, Real Madrid are probably you know, they've been doing very well in, in the Liga this season. They're probably in the same boat. So whether or not it's going to be a, a matchup of two teams very being very tired in the Champions League final will be different. But no, I think yeah, I think Jurgen Klopp will do will do just about enough, especially you know, talking about Sunday and managing his squad if and when the results sort of go sort of go a certain way. Like if the so he, like they'll go full force tonight and then whatever whatever happens happens, but I do think he will be smart enough to realise right I need to make sure you know if we can't win you know don't risk losing the Champions League for the sake of the Premier League as it you know as it were especially if it's especially if it's out of reach. Okay then so as I say Liverpool have got two trophies in their pocket right now. If I was to ask you off the cuff how many will they get by the end of what May twenty eighth is it going to be two three or four? I think it's. I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be three. I think. I think Premier League. I think was pretty has pretty much been sewn up. I don't see Man City losing losing their final game um, to sort of give any sort of jeopardy. So I think that one's probably gone. And Champions League. I just think Real Madrid. I think there's only so much that their luck that their luck can last. I think the way they've managed to get through this competition, the late goals against Chelsea and um, and uh, Man City rather in the semi final. I just you can't keep going it for that long. I think luck will run out, and especially if 
you know, we talk about backlashes and hangover. I think if Liverpool don't win the Premier League, which I expect them to do, I think giving them that week off to sort of prepare mentally and go for it, I think I think we'll just I think we'll just give them the edge. So I think they come out with three. Okay, let's focus on the team that they did beat on Saturday, that being Chelsea. From their point of view, that's a third successive Cup final loss. Well, FA Cup final and, of course, the Carabao Cup final. So, I think it's unfair to say they are bottling big events because they can turn it on when it matters, such as the Champions League last season. But how galling is that defeat going to be when you consider the backdrop of the club right now? I, I think it will sort of serve, serve as a, you know, as a bit of a shock to the system, as it were, you know, you talk about three successive cup final losses, but with the thing, it shows that there needs to be that there's that inconsistency. And I think they just need something to take them over the edge. They can, you know, instead of winning one of those four finals, you know, make it, make it two or make it three. So there's obviously going to be changes, but yeah, I don't think Tuchel is, should be worried about his job or anything like that because he's you know, bowled another final. I think the champions league probably buys him some time. And at the same time, uh, with the whole ownership change, you can't imagine the new owners wanting to, you know, go go through wholesale changes and appointing a new manager um, during the whole process. So I think he's safe, but I do think it just needs to be a little bit of a warning that there are changes that need to be made at Chelsea. If they're gonna, you know, you can even make the argument that they they very nearly bowled the top four because of the slant they were yeah. on and how close it could have been, especially if Tottenham and Arsenal, had, you know, didn't have their lulls at some point in the season, they could have dropped out the top four. So there is stuff that needs to be addressed, but not drastic overhauls, as it were. Yeah, for any new owner, I don't think managerial switching is top of the list. You know, when you kind of work out what needs to be done to even get the the ownership of the club, I don't think Thomas Tuchel's employment status is kind of priority number one. And you're right in the sense that Chelsea have almost sleptwalked to uh, the top four finish. I mean, they will get there now, but even two or three weeks ago, it wasn't quite over the line. But in terms of getting over the line, the transfer of ownership is nowhere near over the line and we are now what two weeks away from that special license expiring i guess i have to ask the question matthew surely chelsea won't go to the wall will they no i don't think so i think you know deadlines create urgency i think is a term in business that's been used so i think it's almost the same thing they will somehow get around to it you know there's probably when the whole pandemic thing starting to have project restart i thought when they announced a date to get things done, I thought, right, they will get it done by that date, by hook or by quote. I think it's pretty much the same thing with Chelsea because, as I've said in this podcast, I don't think like the British government will want this to be held up in any way because they want Chelsea to be run normally so that, you know, you know, uh, you know, the, you know the club shop closed and they want people working there to get money for the economy and all that sort of stuff. Chelsea, I'm sure, want to be done with this whole thing as soon as possible. So I think it's not like there's any belligerent, like Abramovich is flat out refusing to say it. I think there's just, there's just a few quirks. But I think again with the deadline, the thing you know for the good of the club, something will happen. So I don't think it's a case of you know it was talked about. Oh, what happens if they don't do it? Can Chelsea be expelled from the Premier League and then have someone else from the Championship move up and so on and so forth? I don't think that's going to happen. I think they will get things done. You know, even even if it is you know the day before the deadline set to expire, I think they I think they will get something sorted out. Do you think the current situation is almost an element of brinkmanship between Abramovich and the UK government? Because I guess the optics of where this money actually goes is quite important for the government. They don't want to be seen to go through all this rigmarole and then it turns out that Abramovich gets, what, 1.6 million or whatever the, the kind of financial aspect of that is. I don't know the true ins and outs because it's a fluid situation that keeps changing. But is it kind of, 
I don't know, as I say, kind of the UK government don't want this to be messy. They don't want it to look bad and go, OK, well, after all of that, the Russians still got their money. Like, how do you think this all plays out? I, I, do, I, again, I do not know. I'm no, I'm no more finance expert than I'm sure you are. But no. I, do, I do think it, it get. I just think it gets solved. I think it's something that has to be solved. I think, yeah, I, I, again, the UK government, everyone's side wants this to happen. It's not that there's one side religiously holding it back. So I think, again, with the deadline, it will, for reasons that I can't quite explain, I just think it will, I just think it will happen. I just, I just can't see it not I just, I just can't see it not happening, at least within the timeline. Is it the sense or the, the statement that the club is too big to go to the wall? I mean, Berry, when they went to the wall, they weren't a forgotten kind of aspect, but there wasn't so much money tied up into it. Is there too much to lose for not only the football, but the UK government in terms of the money that they would receive from the people working at the club and so on and so forth? So they can't be seen to let this fail. Is that the problem that the UK government have? I think you took the word you took the words right out of my mouth. Yeah, I think too big to fail. You know, you compare it to Berry, which you know, not the word, not the word saying that no, they no, are irrelevant. Right. But when you, but when you look at the size of what Chelsea do for you know the culture of British football, as it were, and the you know the football landscape, the economic landscape, they are in a much bigger position than than Berry are or were. So yeah, I think it is as a case of too big to fail. They won't want this big institution and something that can bring them so much money. They won't want that. They won't want that. You know that opportunity to pass them by. So they will. They will want it to happen. You know, arguably as much as anyone. Right. Let's move on to a huge weekend of Premier League action now. And I guess we have to go to the London Stadium first, as West Ham have made things just a little more interesting in terms of the title race. Now, Matthew, I don't think many people would have imagined a two-all draw between they and Manchester City on Sunday. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Um, I think they probably would have. I probably wouldn't have imagined a two-all draw. I don't think it would have happened in the way that you know, in the way it happened, and especially the the way the whole game sort of played out. I thought when West Ham went two 0 up, I thought that was it because they've been a very good side all season, and especially with their ambition and how close it were, I didn't think they. I didn't think they let it go, but it did. But it just goes to show something we've talked about on the scene before. You can never write out a, write off a side like Man City, and especially in this season where. The Premier League is all they have to go for. They were not going. They were not going to let it slip out of their hands because they do not want to have the possibility. You know, I think we've spoken about this before. Is, you know, the possibility of Man City not winning anything in a season. I think it's something Pep Guardiola can't even can't even bring himself to fathom. So they were never going. They were never going to let it get that bad. I don't think. But over. But overall, incredible game. And I think you know to say the you know, great advert for the Premier League. I think it was exactly that. Yeah, of course it was, especially at this time of the season. In terms of Man City, though, they could and arguably should have won it with a late penalty. One that was missed by Riyad Mahrez. He hasn't got the best penalty record, but how important is that miss going to be in terms of the context of the title race? I don't think I don't think it makes that much of a no. difference. No, it's not. It's not the you know uh, the John Stones clearance off the line, something that could you know, ultimately swing the thing. I think just because of the way the you know, the way the table is laid out, you know, it's still in Manchester City's hands. It was, you know, when when it was the full time 
full-time worst scenario, even if Liverpool win, and given this, given who they are playing, it's not inconceivable they concede, you know, seven, you know, score seven or eight tonight. I think with Man City going in on the final day with that, you know, with that one-point advantage against the Aston Villa side who want to put up a decent fight, but you just think Man City will have too much. I don't think it's going to make that much of a, you know, much of a change in the title race. It will only really affect the points total. I don't. I'd still. I. Yeah, that draw probably sealed Man City the title. If it was you know, something that for them to get a draw, then you might make the argument. But I think that draw was what they needed to get the title. Yeah, it's a good point, actually. So if it was 2-1 and a missed penalty, then there's a huge amount of jeopardy going into this final week. But with that point and then a home fixture, as Jack Greenish rightly said, it's still in City's hands. Although they haven't clinched it yet, you've got the final day at the Etihad. There's probably, it's probably better to clinch it there because you've got the celebration of the home fans and all that. So... If it's in your hands, you worry about the hand you dealt on Sunday and you go from there. But in terms of West Ham, Mark Noble made his last appearance for the Hammers at home as his retirement is just around the corner. I guess, Matthew, is he going to be one of the last of a dying breed of one-club men who are great servants for their clubs? Because with transfers being so prominent in this era of football, you know we're not really getting these 18-year careers anymore. So is he going to be one of the last of that bunch? One of the last, but I still, th- I still think there's enough. Like for instance, I can't see, I can't see Phil Foden leaving Manchester City. For points, yes. I can't see Trent Alexander-Arnold leaving Liverpool. These are names just, just off the top of my head. I'm sure there are others that you can. I'm sure there are others. Rashford and Man United, maybe. I'm sure there will. I'm sure there will be some. But I think part of it is also what he's done. You know, in terms of a club. Of, of West Ham United sides, and they you know, there have been times I think it would be argued that he could he could have made a difference to any club. I think he's a very underrated player. I think he could well have easily settled into a. He probably wouldn't go there because of the Chelsea connection, but a West, but a Chelsea or a Tottenham, those sorts. Of, I think he could easily fit into that. I also think he's sort of underrated. I think he should have got you know. He didn't. He didn't get a single England cap. Did he? Didn't. He? I was just about to ask that. Should he have got an England cap? In your opinion? Absolutely. I think. I think there are some players who you think you don't deserve, at least deserve a chance during their career. And I think Mark Noble, at some point during his career, at least deserved, you know, one of those friendlies at the end of the season. I think he deserved just to see if he could do it on the international stage. And I think he, and I think he could have. I think he's been a fantastic player. Whether or not he's going to be the last one-club man, yeah, he won't be the last, but I certainly, as you say, it is a very much a dying breed and he will be one of the last, but certainly not the last. Well, let's go back to his cap issue or the lack thereof. Because when you consider, well, even sort of 10 years ago, they were handed out like confetti. Players like, I don't know, Leon Osman got an England cap. Now, Leon Osman is no much better than Mark Noble. You could even argue that Mark Noble was better than Leon Osman. So you're kind of thinking, Mark Noble was just really unfortunate when you consider the amount of players, who, like Jay Boothroyd was another one who got an England cap. That's just like, there surely should have been a game where Mark Noble could have played. Yeah, I think there's all, there's always been that. You know, I remember after Norwich City's um, first season back in the Premier League in 2011-12, I want to say, or 12-13, I was saying like Grant Holt should have at least got a call for the you know for the end of season friendlies. I think yeah, it is just you know a shame that you know, Mark Noble's career has happened during the time that you know during the time that it has you know if he'd have been around you know five years earlier you know go to the Sven or Capello days when again I said they were handed like handed them out like confetti they may have they may have got you know he may have he may have got a bit more so it's just a you know damn shame as it were well that's the past let's look to the England present and Jared Bowen scored two against City on Sunday we've mentioned him in England circles before 
Injury deprived him in March, I believe. Has he done enough to get a call up for June? I get. I think you'd have you'd have to say there is some there is something wrong if he isn't. You know, even if he at least make the shortlist, you know, if they have a shortlist of thirty and then he gets cut down to twenty three, if he does at least make the shortlist, then there is something wrong. Because when you look at players, you know, you want to have players on form. You could argue there is no more on form winger, at least this season, than Jared Bowden, no English winger, than Jared Bowden has than Jared Bowden has had. So I think it would be you know, a bit of a shame. It might. I was going to say it might show big club bias, but Gareth Southgate hasn't really hasn't really shown that because he's got like you know. Uh, uh, Dean Henderson came in when he was at Sheffield United. You know, Nick Pope was there. You know, he's from Burnley and all that sort of stuff. So uh, you'd have to think there is something wrong if Jared Bowen doesn't at least get doesn't at least get considered this time round. Yeah, I don't think Southgate has big club bias, but he does have his favourites that make you wonder how are they still getting in the squad. Someone like Taro Mings over Tamori, who's having a great season in Italy. I know we don't really see Tamori every week, but surely if you're helping AC Milan move much closer to the Serie A title, you've got to be in with a shout of the England squad. So maybe Southgate is a little bit stubborn in that sense, but with the opportunities of the Nations League and all of that, you would have to wonder why Jared Bowen doesn't at least get a call-up with the form he's been in. It's been really impressive, and although he didn't get a Europa League final spot, I think an England squad berth would be just a great end to the season for him. But let's move on to the top four race because that is heating up just a bit. Now, on last night's Tottenham pod that me and Carl did, I said to Carl that Newcastle are going to have to do us a big favour and you don't really want to be in that position. But as we mentioned at the start of the show, boy, Matthew, did they do exactly that? They did. And, you know, I I, just, I do want to sort of have this note. It is a, it is a Newcastle thing because I think you know, last night sort of showed what they can do because they have been in you know weird places this season. You know they didn't get was it they didn't get a win till December. I want to say that's right. Yeah, it, it, I knew it was I knew it was late in the season. I couldn't remember exactly when. But yeah, didn't get a win till December. You know we're pretty much in a relegation fight going into February. I think it needs to be said. But the way that Eddie Eddie Howe turned around, I think last night was just a good culmination of things, and it goes and it showed that this side can can compete. You know they're going to make some tweaks in the summer. You know, they're going to get you know even better in some places. Like Dubravka is a good keeper, but he'll be improved. You know, John Joe Shelby is a good player; he'll be improved. So on and so forth. You know, those little tweaks there. They are going to ruffle. They're going to ruffle a lot of feathers next season. They can go and do that against. You know, we've complained about Arsenal before. You know, quite rightly. You know, they do have. They have shown their tendencies to bottle it on the big occasions. You know, FA Cup final side similar to Chelsea. It's just they can't do it on a consistent basis. And that night was the perfect was the perfect night for it. Well, in terms of Newcastle, I think it's fair to say that they landed a statement victory, their first win over a big six club this season. When you look at that performance and you look at the way that Arsenal played last night, that being Monday, is it too much of a reach to say that the Magpies will be troubling the Gunners for a top six slash seven finish next season? I think top six, top seven is is just about right. You know, I top four because I know that will be their aim at some point in the future I think that might be a little bit much of a reach but you look at what Eddie Howe's been able to do this season you know give him that sort of form over the, over a whole season and with the tweak players yeah six seven fifth I don't think that's too unrealistic uh, uh, for something for something like uh, Newcastle to put uh, to put it together so yeah I think European football is a definite possibility for the next year and on the flip side with Arsenal obviously the top four race isn't over yet there's still the final day and all of that, so we shouldn't conclude matters. But if Arsenal finish outside the top four, 
Have they blown the best opportunity for a good couple of years? Are they going to struggle to hit that same level in the next couple of seasons? They were, I do think this was a sort of, you know, now or never situation. You know, there's been questions over Arteta and I'm sure he's going to stay in the job. Well, he's got a new but contract, again, hasn't he? Say again? He's got a new contract, hasn't he? He has. Sorry, sorry that, news, that news passed me by. But, well, even in the Premier League, we know what that means. You know, you know everyone was in a job for 18 months. So, you, especially with Arsenal and their demand, you just never know. Um, but, yeah, I'm sure, he'll be, I'm sure he will be saving, a job, saving his job, though. But just on the whole... When you look at you know the likes of Newcastle coming up the uh, Spurs with how badly they started the season with Nuno and even Conte struggling, you know struggling at times. Man United, Ten Hag, you know in a new system, could sort themselves out. You think this was? I don't want to say it was Arsenal's to lose, but they were in a very good point at times during the season, and they have and they have thrown away. And you do wonder whether or not you know unless there are I guess wholesale changes or. They have another magical summer this summer. I don't think it, I don't think they're going to be there for the next you know two or three years. I think as you said, they have blown it. Well, they blew the North London derby as well, and I guess after that game, the focus was always going to be how big a deflation that result would be in terms of momentum going into Monday. Now, usually they have a habit of answering those kind of questions quite well. You know, every time everyone thinks all oh, a loss, they then bounce back with a couple of wins, and it's all looking rosy again in the red half of North London. However, watching them against Newcastle on Monday night, you can get that sense sometimes from minute one that this team is not at the races and they didn't look like they were at the races at all last night. No, they're not. And I think that is the problem. You know, Arsenal have shown that, you know, as you said, they can bounce back on occasion. But it's they're turning that on occasion to a regular basis. And I think that's what, you know, my big criticism of Arteta, of, of Arteta has been. Is yes, he can get you to a certain stage, but when it comes to getting over the line consistently on a consistent basis, I don't think he's that man. It's like it's like Brendan Rodgers at Leicester. Yes, he can take you so far, but with the players that he has and everything, there's only so much he can do, and you need someone in charge to get you over the line. Over the line. That's why you know, comparing to Conte, for instance, who is you know, going to do that with Spurs. There's a certain level that they can get to, but Conte can take them over the top. So I think it's you know, it's Arteta's. Uh, you know, problem to to try and sort it out, especially especially moving forward. Because if they're not going to get Champions League football on a regular basis, they're going to need to turn that into trophies. You know, starting with the Europa League next with the Europa League next season. Now, of course, in this game, it would be unfair to overlook Newcastle in all of this because we shouldn't forget how good their performance was. It's easy to look at the bigger team being bad and think what a disaster. But I guess the funny quirk in all of this is that Newcastle had absolutely nothing to play for, bar maybe getting up the table, prize money, top 10 finish, etc, etc. But when you look at the way Newcastle played last night, it felt like they were gunning for the top four position. Yeah, I was, gonna, I was, thinking, about, I was thinking about that when I was driving yesterday. Is that what did Newcastle fight for? Because they're not really fighting for prize money when you think about That's it. That's true, yeah. What, what, is two, what is two and a half million going to no. do for two and a half million? But yeah, other than, you know, a good finish so they can say, you know, to any potential targets, oh, look, look where we were and we finished ninth, say, for instance, which I think is roughly where they are now, but wherever, if they finish ninth, um, say, look, we are this close, you can take us that little bit closer. So there, there was technically something for them to fight for um, in the grand scheme of things, but it, it was just, it was just incredible to watch. And so that, that did look like a team. That was going. That was going for the top four, and you know, an Arsenal side that really didn't. And that it goes back to what I was saying earlier: is they just showed they cannot do it consistently on the big stage when it matters. 
Well, after the game, Granite Xhaka made some rather interesting comments. He said that, well, to his teammates, he referenced that if they are nervous, they should stay at home. So, literally, throwing his teammates under the bus. Gary Neville brought up that point and said, well, it's all very well saying this, but Xhaka, you're kind of responsible, as was everyone else last night, that everyone had a bad game. It's very easy to then kind of come out and say, well, we should do better and everyone's got to be up for the fight. But surely just be up for the fight on the pitch, no? This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it is. it does sort of show something that, you know, a player, players especially like that should not need a rallying cry because they know what is on you know, what is on the line for them. And, they, you know, they're, they're players. They, I'm sure they read comments and they read blogs and all that sort of stuff. They know exactly what is going to come for them if they do not, if, if they do not finish in the top four, especially what has gone on at Arsenal for the past couple of years. So, the fact that they, re- I say, they really shouldn't need that wake-up call, but the fact that Jacker felt that he needed to give it just does sort of bring you know alarm bells ringing at, at Arsenal that they think that it, that they think it needs to happen in the first place. Right, let's move to the other half of North London now. Tottenham got the better of Burnley, which put them into fourth on Sunday, which applied more pressure to Arsenal. There was a sense of hook and by crook on Sunday lunchtime as Burnley did dig in and had their own chances, but Matthew, I guess. At this stage of the campaign, and with what happened the evening after, one nil wins are just as welcome as any other scoreline. Exactly. You know, all you got to do is just sort of about you know, focus about the you know, the points sticking you know, because you know, even you no, know, even before the weekend, top, you know, goal difference. I think Tottenham were like twelve better than Arsenal. I think it was. So goal difference wasn't really going to, you know, and isn't going to be isn't going to be a part of it. So it's just make sure you get the points. You know, by hook or by crook, especially against a Burnley side who are fighting for their lives. So yeah. it's not as if it was, it's not as if it was going to be going to be an easy game for them. So you know, Burnley uh, Burnley did put up a pretty decent fight, I thought, especially you know if you flip it around, especially given the opposition they were playing. So yeah, I think at this point, all you have to say is just get the points. You know, goal difference, especially going into it, really didn't matter. So that was just the most important bit. Don't worry about you know being flash or anything. Just get the result. Yeah, I mean, Burnley were never going to roll out the red carpet with their situation, and I think anyone who thought that would be silly. And I think also you have to remember that after the absolute elation of Thursday night against Arsenal, to match that kind of performance would have been incredibly difficult because of Burnley's situation and because of the tight turnaround of the fixtures, a natural drop-off. Just a win was absolutely fine, really. I don't think anyone can really fault the performance. I think three points is much more important at this stage. However, the reason three points came about is a rather contentious penalty. Now, Ashley Barnes was a judge to handle after some intervention from VAR. So everyone talks about, well, it's the laws now. Was it the right decision? Are the laws correct? Is it harsh on Ashley Barnes? What did you make of it all? I I, I thought it was I thought it was reasonable. I think again, given the way the laws are, you, you can't put yourself in you can't put that yourself in that situation. I think it, in a you know in a pre VAR world, maybe get away with it, but I think Again, when you look at the law the way it is, it just about just about makes sense. I don't think there can be really many, many complaints. On that lunchtime, Nick Pope kept Hume Song at bay. Now, the golden boot race is down to one. We referenced Salah's injury earlier in the show. 
with Norwich being opposition for Human Song and Tottenham, and I guess Tottenham still need a win just to be comfortable, does it all point to the South Korean winning the Golden Boot, or will the Egyptian hang on? I I think it's going to be tough because I don't. Yeah, you know, we talk about Salah. I don't think Salah plays tonight. I think that's just enough. You know, Liverpool should have just enough to get through without him. It then comes down to it then comes down to Sunday. I think you know at the very least, Son and Kane should at least have an understanding that if there's any penalties, you know who gets it, and it's Son on Sunday. I I know I I think Son should just about be able to get it. I think Salah, when you look at what he's been this second half of the season, he hasn't quite been there. Plus, coming back from the injury. Plus, having an eye on you know on the uh, on the following week for the Champions League final, I don't think he's going to be fully at it. So I think there will be the chance for Son to get it. And you know what? I'll say I think Son goes and wins goes and wins the Golden Boot. I think he does it. Okay, let me give you a quick hypothetical here. Let's say that Tottenham are cruising at Carrow Road, three 0 up, and there's a late penalty. Would Harry Kane give it to Human Song to help him get the Golden Boot, or is Kane fully focused on Premier League goal records? I th- I think. Harry Kane has proved that he is a he's a you know I was going to say a kind-hearted human being, but you know I think most people I think most people are. yes. Um, but yeah, he showed what he's like. You know the relate the relationship and the tandem that they have. It you you know I'm sure it wouldn't be the biggest you know deal breaker in the world. Or you know if he Kane if he does it, oh Kane doesn't care about Spurs teammate. That means he must be off in the summer sort of thing. I don't think you would divulge it to something you know quite as big as that. But I do think he he knows what is at stake, and you know he's won a golden boot couple of golden boots i think yes. so he should know he should know what the feeling is like and he will probably want to give it to his you know, give it to his teammate yeah i think if the penalty is at say one nil and the game's still in the balance then perhaps not but if it is done and dusted you'd have to be quite harsh to say sorry son i've got this one you'll have to wait another year to get a golden boot so if that pans out it might lead to a south korean golden boot but there's going to be plenty of twists and turns on the final day that's for sure and there'll be plenty of twists and turns probably in the relegation zone because that defeat for Burnley and a draw for Leeds sees those two switch sides in terms of the relegation battle. So last week we spoke about Leeds and ill-discipline. In midweek, it reared its head again after... I can't remember who got sent off now. Who got sent off against Chelsea? It was... Was uh, it Luke Ayling? It was... No, no, that was no, the last one. No, that was the last game. It was... Uh, Dan James? Yes, it was. Yes, good, good work. Well done. So, yes, that reared its head there. So, obviously, Leeds... Played with less intensity, but they got a point. So, do you reckon this is something that was addressed by Jesse Marsh to say, "Look, I know you mean well. I know you want to go out and get results for me and run through brick walls, but guys, we've got to dial it down just a little bit." Yeah, I think that is that is probably that is probably right because I don't think you know as much as I do not know Je- Jesse Marsh, but I don't think he's the I don't think he comes across as the type of player that would say, "Right, go out and injure the opposition." I don't think that's quite. I don't think that's quite the mantra. So I think he, as you say, he probably did tell them to just dial it down just a little bit, especially knowing what is at stake uh, for them in the grand scheme of things. Now, I, I still don't think a draw was enough. I think you know, with Burnley playing um, Aston Villa on Thursday, I think Burnley will probably put themselves either through a draw or a win. I think Burnley will give themselves the upper hand in that situation. But you know. I, yeah, I think there were there was just kind of a point. You know, even if it does lead into next season, he probably wants to lay a marker down and say we cannot let we cannot let this discipline become a thing. So we need to just calm it down as soon as possible, just to give us the best chance. Well, with those two results, it played really well into Everton's hands. And had they got the better of Brentford, they would have been safe. However, they threw that chance completely away. So we mentioned ill discipline for Leeds. 
Is it also becoming a factor for Everton? Because I read up that they've got five red cards since Frank Lampard's arrival, and that was in what? January. And that is three more than any other club since his tenure. So is it a case for both they and Leeds of wanting it just a bit too much at times? <laughs> Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, as we I think as we said before, you know, with the pressure that comes under, you know, maybe players just aren't thinking right and, you know, uh, try to pay uh, try to take too big me, uh, try to take too big a risk in certain situations. So that's why they might, you know, lunge into a tackle to try and get the ball when really they shouldn't be doing. So I think it is probably just the pressure of everything that is, you know, uh, that is, you know, at, at stake for them. I think it's just started to become started to become a little bit too much for Leeds and Leeds and Everton. I think Burnley probably aren't doing the situation because they've been in the situation before, so they know, you know, they are, and even, you know, they are quite a disciplined side, even under Sean Dyche. So I think it is again, they know what needs to be done, and keeping yourself, you know, in a cool, calm place isn't the way to go about it. So I think that's why they they haven't been doing it at the same time. Did pressure get to Everton on Sunday or was it a case of Thomas Frank tinkering in the interval to make sure that Hounslow Town were more, well, making advantage of that numerical supremacy? Or, you know, I guess as you sort of reference that Everton aren't used to this situation. So every time they are 2-1 up, it's all a bit, ooh, like, did that sort of crack again? Or was it literally the fact that for most of the game, Brentford had a man more on the pitch? I think, I think, it's, a, I think it's a combination of two, I know. I, you know, I don't think you know Hazard Town as much as it pains to be saying they've been not a credit to the Premier League, but they've served, <laughs> they've, served, they've served themselves well. You know they've done they've done as good as they've done as good as they could do. Um, but you know when you're playing against a team like that, especially you know last game at home game of the season, you know you want to send the fans off happy and all that sort of stuff. I, it, it was just, it was just a case of quality. I think you know when you look at the players that you know uh, that they and Everton have, it shouldn't really be that much of a match, but. When you bring the you know the team ethic together, and everything. I think it was just a case of Brentford. Would you? Damn, Hamzai Town was just too big on the day. Oh, a little slip up there, but don't worry. Let's move on because in terms of their ill discipline on Sunday, that being Everton, of course, there were two red cards. Let's run through them both quickly. Jared Bramthwaite's early dismissal, sort of I guess construed as the last man denying of a goal-scoring opportunity. Was that the right decision for you? Yeah, I think so. Again, go back to what I said, especially with the you know with the rules as they are. I don't think you could have any complaints in that situation. You know, just clumsy decision. And the second one, Salomon Rondon came on for Seamus Coleman to try and I guess nick a point at three-two uh, down on for minutes, then straight back off after a red card. Was that tackle just simply reckless? Yeah, I think as you say, just just reckless. You know, it goes back to what I was saying is. You know, when you're in a situation, you're, you know, the blood's pumping, you're trying to be a little bit desperate, you go in for things you probably shouldn't be doing. I think that was just another one of those occasions. Of course, Everton have another chance at earning survival in midweek. They play host to Crystal Palace, but they lose another two players due to suspension. So they've already got issues at centre-back. They've now been worsened by Branthwaite's dismissal. Salomon Rondo's pretty much by the by. It's just another body they can't use. But, you know, we talk about the pressure of Everton. They've cracked on Sunday... Are they going to crack again in midweek? No, I think I think the fact that you know they're at home, I think they will be just in just about enough to show what they you know just show what they can do. Especially if they've got the fans on their side, who the fans you know whilst they've been have been angry at some points during the season over the Benitez stuff, and I think there was some stuff towards the owners as well. Everton have been you know pretty decent fans over the whole point. It's not like Leeds. You know, Leeds fans, for instance, who have been who have been a little bit touchy at points during the season. So I think Everton fans, you know, will will just about get them over the line. So I think that might I think that will just help them out on that situation. 
Okay, next Tuesday we're going to obviously talk about the team which is relegated to join Watford and Norwich. Matthew, if you have to make a prediction now, which one is it going to be? I think I think it's going to be I think it's going to be Leeds. I think Burnley get get a result against Aston Villa on Thursday just to put them in the you know put them in the driving seat, and then Leeds last game of the season you know similar to what I said you know about Hounslow Town because they've got to go they've got to go down there. I think it will be a case of you know they 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 will just have they will just have too much quality. And I think there's also I was reading that apparently they and Leeds have something of a rivalry going because of a promotion battle. I think the first time round. Um, uh, yeah, when when uh, they tried to go up and Leeds won the league title, so I think there is something to that which might play into it as well. So they will want to send Leeds down. Uh, I just can't, see, I just can't see Leeds winning on the final day. And I think with Burnley getting a point, I think that probably seals it. Yeah, I'd have to agree there. Let's focus very quickly on the two sides that are already relegated. First up, Norwich, a decent point away at Wolves, and I guess with them not rolling over at the end of the season. It will make Tottenham just aware that they can't just go to Carrow Road and think, right, all we've got to do is turn up and win. It's not going to be that easy, is it? No, it's not, it's not even a win. You just, just need a draw, don't you? That is but, true, this yeah. is what, but this is what we were saying. This is what I sent to you last night. I saw someone on Twitter make the point is, if you're not you know, you're not a Spurs fan, if you aren't slightly worried about having to go to Norwich, already relegated and get a point, you, know, you don't know what you're talking about if you think otherwise sort of thing. But I think, as you, as you say, it just goes to show that Norwich have not given up. I think it is a you know, somewhat of a credit to them. You know, they were doomed after, or probably pretty much after they got promoted because of the way they sort of run themselves. But though Dean Smith did bring him in, gave him a little bit more of a fight um, to give him a slight more chance, and they're somewhat showing it. You know, whilst the results haven't really matched, but I have really been impressed with some of the performances they've been putting in. It puts them in good stead for next season. I think you know that's why I said. It's just enough to give Tottenham just that little bit of worry that they might uh, might not be in for an easy ride on um, on the weekend. Yeah, of course. You know, it's not a foregone conclusion. As I said to you on Twitter, I think Tottenham have got the right to be confident, but you can't just say, right, it's three points in the bag. I know we only need one, but I think if you get too complacent, you will get bitten. It just happens in football. So I know Conte will be drumming that message into his players. And I just think, as I say, the fact they've drawn away at Wolves, they are still kind of just trying to be respectable towards the end of the season, which is, I guess, fair enough from a Norwich fan's point of view as well, because you want a bit of fight, which is unlike Watford, because we're going to go to them next. And Rob Edwards is their new manager. He was in attendance, was paraded around the ground. I think after watching that one, Matthew, he might be looking to say, oh, actually, can I go back to Forest Green? Because we've spoken about Watford's defending this season. Even the past month, it's been absolutely dreadful. But this game was the most dreadful. It was absolutely shocking. Yeah, it was. It just goes to show, you know, whilst we said that maybe players on the beach, I think Watford have pretty, you know, pretty much have given up. Um, and, you know, I think they, you know, I want to say they've given up a while ago, but they, yeah, they probably did give up a while ago, even as as much as pain's been said about Roy. Um, but yeah, it just goes to show that, you know, they, the way they're going down, they need, you know, they're going to need work, you know, whether or not the, the owners actually follow through with it, because we know what, you know, again, we know what they're like in terms of, um, investment and how they run things um, is a big thing. But I'm sure Rob Edwards won't be looking at that and saying, right, oh, we're going to be struggling in the championship next season. He knows they will have a fighting chance. It's just a case of whether he's, you know, he's up to the challenge, making the jump from League Two up to the, you know, from League Two up to the championship. Well, we spoke about John Eustace last week, and I think you could probably just swap the name for Rob Edwards and what needs to happen at the club and a reset and all that kind of stuff. So just want to focus very quickly on the way that Rob Edwards has become Watford manager because I know Dale Vince at Forest Green Rovers was very well perturbed at the way it was dealt. Is this kind of Watford just being Watford? This kind of 
their MO is just to kind of bulldoze whoever and just do what they want. It's just a kind of murky way to appoint a manager, really, wasn't it? Yeah, I think there was some element, you know, again, I've only managed to be, you know, I will admit, the goings-on of Watford is not exactly my <laughs> of wanting to care. But yeah, I've just seen sort of bits of it, you know, he, they approach without really approaching fast green. You, again, I don't know whether... I don't know whether it's seen, it should be seen as a bad thing. You know, is it just part of the course? You know, I'd say with Watford, but just in general, in the grand scheme of things, if they did, you know, if a champion, a soon-to-be championship club approaches your manager and your League Two going up to, you should at least, you probably would have given them the chance to speak to to speak to them anyway. So it's more of a rudeness thing rather than a legal breaking protocol sort of thing. Um, but yeah, not great. But at the same time, I can't really see it being, you know, similar to the whole Ashley Cole tapping up thing in 2005, six or there. I don't think it's going to be, I don't think it's going to be that same sort of level of criminality and judgment um, on the same level. No, I think it's just a nose being put out of joint really, isn't it? And I think, you know, give it two months, whether Rob Edwards is still in charge, which he probably will be, but it'll be long since forgotten. We shouldn't forget though, our final game, Aston Villa versus Crystal Palace. Both teams are hunting down a top 10 finish. Now, I guess a point is helpful to both in terms of their tally, but at the same time, they may have just cancelled each other out. Yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, I think you say exactly that. You know, again, I say not exactly on the beach. You know, fine for a top ten finish. You know, does something for the you know the esteem of both clubs, as it were. Especially as I mentioned, you know, Aston Villa probably wanted to put themselves in a, in a decent position to recruit. Uh, but yeah, it's just two sides. That, you know, at the end of the table, you know, at the end of the year, two mid-table sides. One all doesn't really seem like that. You know, outrageous or you know, outlandish result. Right, Matthew, we've hit full time. So thank you for running the channels this afternoon. A Herculean task and a Herculean effort as always. I hope you enjoyed that one. I, I did. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure to do it. Uh, I say always a pleasure to do it, Solo. I do like I do like the guys, but yeah, always happy to step in and you know, do what I needed. Top man. It's always very much appreciated at this end. And of course, next week is our final episode of the season. So, Matthew, I hope you'll be joining me for that one. Absolutely. Board games of the whole. 50p. Bring those board games. Non-uniform day. That's next Tuesday. I look forward to that one. So just want to say fantastic. Cheers to Matthew and also the listeners out there. And with that said, it just leaves me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. This is The Real Football Cast. And until next time, goodbye. Podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.